Hello, and welcome to Manga Splaining, a show where we recommend great manga to people who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by me, Deba Oki, David Brothers, Christopher Woodrow Butcher, and Chip Zdarsky. Follow along with our show notes and reading lists at mangasplaining.com. And this week, one of my favorite types of things to talk about, that's cat manga. Now, of course, we've done cat manga before. We've done Cheese Sweet Home, but we're going back. We're going way back. I mean, in manga terms, of course. We're going to the first cat manga I think I've read, which is What's Michael? What's Michael by Makoto Kobayashi. It's published by Dark Horse Comics. It's been around for a while. It's been around so long that it is now reissued in a super fat, fat cat edition, which encompasses apparently five volumes, five very slim volumes of the adventures of a very, I guess, well, he's a kind of, he's an orange cat with a lot of flavor. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Sure. He's a ginger with lots of spice. So (laughs) I guess we should start off by reading the back of the books. We can kind of ground our listeners in what exactly we're going to embark upon right now. (laughs) True to life, daily cat scenarios and off the walls, outlandish feline fantasies combined in this epic manga collection. Epic is not a word I'd use for this, but that's okay. Makoto Kobayashi's hilarious series returns in a set of oversized volumes, starting with our first fat cat edition, which contains the out-of-print original, What's Michael, volumes one to six. Six volumes. Whoa. that Whoa. is a- <laughs> Over 500 pages of tumultuous fun include the out-of-print volumes, Michael's album, Living Together, Off the Deep End, Michael's Mambo, Michael's Favorite Spot, and A Hard Day's Life. Introduction by the award-winning translator and scholar, Zach Davidson. He actually translated Cat plus Gamer. So, oh, okay. Was that Dark Horse? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. A feline fun and turmoil as Michael wrecks havoc on his humans' lives. I'm not sure if that's the best description of what's Michael, but let's go with that. Well, we've got a whole hour-long podcast to give our take. <laughs> so... If you're listening, Dark Horse Marketing Department, please condense what we say down to the Fat Cat Edition Volume (laughs) 4 text. All right. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm in the pocket for cats. And I know, like, I've seen Chip's, let's say, housemate make a couple of appearances in the background once or twice. Mr. Sweet Pea, yes. (laughs) Mr. Sweet Pea. (laughs) I'm going to throw this at Chip then. As a cat owner, or friend of cats... (laughs) <laughs> what what did you think of What's Michael? I liked it. It was super charming. Obviously, it's extremely well illustrated, especially the cats. So that 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 lends a lot of humor to it because the the cats kind of depicted a bit more realistically than say a Garfield or a Heathcliff. So when the cat gets up to kind of wacky situations, it's just inherently funnier. Reading them, I was I was kind of fascinated by the fact that I kept thinking about Garfield mm. for obvious reasons, and I kept thinking like. Most of these works as a three-panel gag. Mm. Like, even though they're multiple pages and Michael, like, running around and doing stuff, like, you can kind of distill a lot of these to just, like, little three-panel or or four-panel gag strips. Mm. But but letting them breathe like this made them a lot more charming. The, the only thing that kind of threw me off was just the fact that Michael is, like, like, a lot of these stories kind of change the environment a bit like 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 there's not i don't even know how to say it like 
the reality changes from story to story. Like there were stories of, of him kind of entering into the, the home life or him actually being the cat of somebody else or him actually being kind of more in a, a world where like he's playing baseball with dogs. Like, mm. like they, they keep changing. Like the, the two human owners seem to be pretty consistent, but even those situations kind of change where sometimes he's got different owners. Yeah. Yeah. Or even those owners are different mm. and how, how he is with them. That took a little bit of getting used to, but clearly it's just like a template just to do whatever the author wants with Michael. Mm. So yeah, it, it, it's super charming. I don't think ultimately it's for me. And I don't even know why. I think it's just more one of those things like, oh, this is adorable. I'll probably never read another one again, mm. but I'm happy I did. And I would absolutely recommend it to kids. Mm. I think it's a really charming book for kids. Mm. Yeah. Those are my kind of initial things. That's good. David, you have any thoughts on What's Michael? Yeah, I came to What's Michael as a kid. Like late nineties, I got into Super Manga Blast by Dark Horse Comics, oh. their manga anthology. It's like forty-eight pages or something. It was it felt like a very good value for how much yeah. you had to spend on them. And I wasn't really reading superhero stuff at the time because there were you know, onslaught and clone saga stuff and I stuff Spider Man and X Men. So <laughs> revisiting these was really nice in a way. And it made me also realize that a couple of my favorite jokes are probably in later volumes. The mm. extended thriller sequence when they do the thriller dance. <laughs> and Dracula chapter, which I believe we've qu- talked about on the podcast at least two or three times before. It's super yeah. funny. But yeah, this is very much up my alley. It's really adult swim in terms of vibe, like the way it's written. Like It's not super edgy, but it's edgier than Cheese Sweet Home. Mm-hmm. But like it's written, like Chip was saying, in a way where they'll take one idea, like they'll have like, you know, maybe two or three jokes and then make it like a six page story. Something else I liked about this and I didn't expect going in is that it's like an inadvertent manga time capsule because mm. the lettering changes from oh my God. like the dominant like 90s manga style, like the Studio Proteus style to the more modern style. And I thought that was really fascinating because I loved while I was reading, I was like, oh, on the podcast, like I'm talking about like Studio Proteus, it would be cool. Like, this is how I think manga should look. This is my favorite vibe. And then it switched in one chapter. And I was like, oh, and this is like how it looks now. And it's kind of interesting that they're in the same book, like almost back to back like that. Yeah. What are the differences, I mean, that you can pull out or you can kind of show us an example of? The sound effects, most especially. Let me find. It was towards the end when they started using kind of more font-y sound effects versus things that are hand-drawn. And, you know, it's much cheaper to do like a font or something like that. It takes a lot less work to adjust the page. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at 443. There's that morale, morale, and flip. Those initial pages are hand-lettered for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a different, it's a different vibe for sure. All that, the old Studio Proteus stuff had just the most amazing lettering. Yeah, 443 is actually a great example because it has a few like quirks that are, I think, are really annoying but ultimately inconsequential. Like when people mm. say, like, "Oh, you have to um, like crossbar I in lettering." I think it looks better when you do it like the right way. Mm. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, the sound effects are—they just look like fonts. They look the same every time. And if you flip to any page between, like, say, 100 and 200, page 184, they don't have quite the same like identical vibe like there's more variation in the letters and that sort of thing there's a really good page that i noticed i don't have it noted here but i'll put it in the show notes when i find it later where yeah. 
within the word balloon, the like fonts kind of are overlapping on top of each other and stuff. And it's the kind of thing that you really, as a letterer, are really discouraged from doing these days with computer lettering. Mm -hmm. But in hand lettering, especially when the person who's lettering it is, you know, paid really well and can afford to actually spend the time with on their it. Tom Wurzikowski. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there's something that the lettering gets that's actually look really at 102 when there's a yowling. Yeah, 102 looks fantastic. You can see like the lettering has clearly been pasted in, like the wump and the thud in panels three. Panel three. Yeah. But this is just sort of there's like a hand drawn, not a hand drawn. There's like a made aspect to it. It's different in the computer lettered version. Yep. And I think I prefer this because it feels more, I mean, it's what I read when I was 14. It's probably a huge part of it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's so expressive, right? Like the ooh yeah. is like, has the different O's. And then the on page 103, it's like the rawr, it's like the R. Yeah, there's the so much variation. <laughs> it's so different. Like it fits the art like a little better, I think. So I got page 156 open and you can see. On, she's yelling at Michael, stop it. Don't you dare sharpen your claws there. That's expensive. And then stop it, dare, and expensive are bolded. Mm -hmm. And then expensive even has like an underline to really like, I'm, I'm, when was the last time you saw underlining inside a word balloon, right? Mm -hmm. And then you flip to the end and I got paid like 486 here. And the panel at the top, what? Don't bury it. I got, I got it for you to chew on, bear. And it's like still bolded, like what and bury and chew on, but just night and day for how it reads within the word balloon. And yeah. it's really a difference between hand lettering and fonts. I didn't expect to get so into the fonts, actually. <laughs> it's funny now that you now that you talk about it. Like if you go to four sixty, mm. there's a scene mostly with a dog, and like, yeah, the the text of the dog is just it's all over the map. Mm. Like they're clearly trying something by making things bigger and smaller, but none of it works together. Yeah, none yeah. of it none of it flows. Like. And even the guy's text in the bottom left where he's like the nice doggy, like the mixed case, the spacing, all of it is just, it's pretty off. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's one of those things, I know, you know, like I'm kind of dogging on it a little bit, but this is much closer to the modern manga editing, like mm. style, I suppose. Yeah. Kind of like Biz, Kodansha, Dinpa, we all kind of share a few basics, I would say. But like the old school stuff looks so cool. And I think that's fundamentally what it comes down to. It's like you look at it and you get a reaction from it versus the more modern stuff where you kind of look at it and it just sort of sinks. You know, it's the old thing about like, oh, lettering should be invisible. But this is like lettering that enhances the vibe, I think. It's in invisible. It's funny because like the, the page I'm looking at, like it's not invisible at all because mm -hmm. it's so off. Like it, oh, it, it's jarring, right? Oh, the dog one? The modern stuff, yeah. Yeah. So even though the, the, the earlier, the more hand lettering stuff is like well-designed, that actually makes it feel invisible. It just makes it feel part of the page. Like it's so considered with everything yeah. else that's happening, whereas later on it's not. It's like a very much an afterthought. And I'm wondering if we had read like that last book. I assume it was the last book that was lettered that way. as like a, a paperback. I wonder if we'd read that separately, if it would still feel jarring, if we didn't have the like 300 pages of Studio Proteus style lettering. Yeah. What's, what's so amazing is that each chapter has, says volume five, and it says, this section was translated and lettered by Alan Gleason, Dana Lewis, Hisashi Kotobuki, Leah Seidman, Torin Smith, and Ellen Winkler, and lettered by Amador Cisnero, Pat Duke, and Radio Comics, Tom Orzakowski. Or Zakowski, sorry. Yeah. And Amy Stella. Like each chapter 
has like this lineup. It was a weird time in comics. Hmm. I want I want David to finish his thoughts before I jump in, though. But like the lettering is, yeah, you saying it's a time capsule, man. It is absolutely that yeah. because this this was such a long, long running translation from Dark Horse, where it'd get picked up and then dropped again, you know, a couple times. So big, big gaps. Maybe maybe over a decade of, of work in this book. I'll have to go back and see when it actually serialized from Dark Horse. But yeah, it's pretty wild stuff. Yeah. The my thoughts, I mean, I'm pro what's Michael. <laughs> I when Monster Hunter World came out, which was like a really big hunting video game, but like you're hunting dragons and beasts and such, you get a cat like sidekick called a palico. Like Calico plus Pal. I named mine What's Michael, like an, with exclamation point and a uh, question mark. So I'm, I'm in the bag, let's say. And if I had to pick one thing that I really liked revisiting it after all these years, it's all the cat faces and all the dudes who look like Lionel Richie. <laughs> <laughs> like this is legitimately one of those like. Give me a page number. Who's the Lionel Richie guy? Oh, it's one of the guys who really likes cats. Hang on. He had like the little mustache. He had like the curly hair. I'll find it and bring it up in the middle of Christopher's. <laughs> <laughs> All good. It was 1985. You got to cut, cut people a break. He was the oh, sex symbol of 1985. The guy, the guy who like says, we're here to see the cats, ma'am. Yeah, he's definitely one of those guys. He yeah. shows up earlier in the book too. I was like, That's this is just Lionel Richie. <laughs> I love this scene in like, like 220, 221, where like they're coming to pick up the kittens and then they tilt their heads. Just like the kitten does, <laughs> but they're all like Yakuza. Like, <laughs> there's, there's some legitimately great gags in What's Michael, but it is funny that the stuff that when we were talking about this book and picking it for the podcast, none of that was in this volume. It's six <laughs> volumes of stuff. And I think it does get more surreal as it goes. The like, the best example of that in the very last part of the book, there's a story where Michael is now a salary man in a world of cats, and he <laughs> like gets taken into like a girls' bar and gets sort of like robbed of all of his money and sent home. And then the last panel is them, you know, flashing back to it's the it's the cat owners going, well, that's what I think he's thinking about anyway. And they really are trying to play with the form, but they're still trying to like be like, well, this is just what the owners think is going on and trying to have their cake and eat it too a little bit. But in later ones, yeah, he's literally just like protecting his owner from Dracula. Like it is, it does get more and more surreal as it goes, which, which I think is one of the charms of it. And you do get some of that, like the all cat business, <laughs> the all the all cat board meeting is really quite funny. I love that. <laughs> but yeah, overall, and I like the cartooning so much in this. It's like he has a really good gift for caricature, I found, rereading this especially. In my head, it was always really strong, like all those sort of types that are in Club Nine, which is another book by Kobayashi I really liked. And yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I don't think I'm on board with what Chip's saying that it's like for kids. I think that it is like one of those weird, not quite for kids, not quite for adults things that just sort of ends up in in like manga magazines as like the here's the eight pages of cat manga this week's episode. But I don't know. I do think though, much like much like Pop Team Epic, I don't think sitting and reading this at a go was a good idea. I think this is a book that, you know, at six hundred almost six hundred pages dipping into and out of and picking up a story here and there and and really sort of savoring it 
is a lot better than reading 600 pages in a, in, a, in over two days. I think maybe I kind of ruined it for myself a little bit in that way. I wish I wish I had savored it a bit more, but you know, there's always volume two to like have on the shelf, pull down, read a couple of stories, chuckle to yourself and put it back. So, so yeah, that's my initial thoughts. Good caricature. I don't think it's for the kiddos and I don't think you should power through it. I think you should take your time a little bit. <laughs> I like your point about the caricature because Lionel Richie's on 273. Okay, here we go. He the private eye who receives a mysterious letter that turns out to be like the wrong letter. Just, yeah, the misdirected cat fancy magazine. <laughs> yeah, I love shaggy dog jokes. And he gets like so into it. For the first page of this one, I was like, okay, like, come on, man. This is just very popular singer. He looks like he, he looks like the guy that's in the resistance with Kay and Akira that I secretly in love with her uh, a little bit, but like drawn as if he's Lionel Richie because he's got the yeah. same vibe going on. Ryu, that's his name in Akira. So so wait, if Wes Michael were created today, David, who would the pop singer be? Oh in, in, in I would the place love of if Lionel it was Richie. The weekend. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so good. <laughs> Hard boiled gum shoe the weekend. <laughs> that's perfect. The gangster K in this is a character of Ken Takakura, who's like a famous mm. Yakuza actor. In a, in a okay. bunch of good gangster movies. M is kind of like Gogol Thirteen, isn't he? I was going to say. Yeah, I was uh, trying to place who great. he was as well. Like he, he feels like a reference for sure. Mm. And Ken even has like the, the very strong cheekbone drawings. Mm. <laughs> like I love those long lines; makes him look so old. So like, there's a lot of pop culture stuff in here that I think would be. It would be horrible to explain it using our pop culture icons, but because there's like some distance between us and them, it's okay. Like, mm. just imagine—I don't know—like Al Pacino as a cat person. Actually, that'd oh, actually, pretty oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that'd be fun. <laughs> What's the guy? Um, mm, the guy who's in that Fat Boy Slim video, Christopher Walken. <laughs> Christopher Walken. Yeah. yeah, that is that would actually be very believable. Yeah. He is that mm. kind of like Elliot Golden, the long goodbye vibe, like good cat chemistry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the idea of him coming to pick up one of the kittens in a Christopher Walken <laughs> voice, I've come for the kitten with, you know, three or four more pauses in there. That's a good joke. That's a good joke yeah. right there. You're like, please don't. It would sell it so well. <laughs> but Deb, as a cat connoisseur, how do you feel about what's Michael? What was your take reading all these stupid stories again? I mean, I always kind of knew that this guy knows cats. Mm. The poses and the situations they get into, like, you know, you know how the cats will like lick their own nuts kind of thing. Mm. And, and they look really cute and very stupid at the same time. <laughs> or the way that cats will do things like they can't hide their emotions, like their ears will go back or their tail mm. fluff up. Every time I sneeze, uh, my cat's tail just flops up like twice the size like it's like you've lived with me for eight months i sneeze a lot get used to this <laughs> like he just poof just like runs for the hills and the things that they i guess that i, I really enjoy about that is like it just shows us so certain knowingness of like how silly cats can be mm. like everyone kind of the way like oh i have a friend who for example hates cats because he goes oh Cats are so standoffish and cats are so snobby. Like, mm. you know, they're not like dogs. Dogs are, you know, dogs just love you. Cats mm. are snotty and 
Uh, it's like, no, cats are full of love. Also, they're not cool at all sometimes. <laughs> they can be really stupid. And that's what makes them endearing. Like I'd read What's Michael many years ago mm. in various spots. This is the first time I've, I've got the, the cat cat version. I had never known until I got to the last page that it's based on a real cat. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, same. Yeah. No. I didn't know this at all. <laughs> and this cat is still on the loose somewhere wreaking havoc. <laughs> Inspiring other manga cats. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like it reminds me of, like, you know, that darn cat mm. where the cat goes to different houses and has different lives. Mm-hmm. So I kind of accepted that Michael has different lives. It's mm. just that it never, like, now that you know, Chip mentioned it, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that would be kind of confusing, huh? Mm. Because it's the same cat personality, but he has different lives and different families. And I don't know. My touchstone for this was Looney Tunes more than anything. Oh. So it kind of makes oh, okay. sense that he that the setting like changed a little bit or was out, outrageous every now and again. Mm. It kind of has that same format of like we've got two really good jokes and we've got you know however ten minutes to play these out real fast. And I think this series definitely does a similar. thing. Where like you get enough to like get it, the gist of a person like oh this is a guy who's crazy about cats and this is a cat who is sick of his crap. Six <laughs> 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 pages later, you're all done. So it was almost. I know I didn't. I was going to make a joke about like I really couldn't grasp the story in this one, but I didn't really think that there was like an actual continuity between them outside mm. of like the one family where he ends up having like a wife and kids, and then mysteriously just one kid. I assume because kittens are <laughs> hard to draw. <laughs> the one thing that kind of gave me the less light creeps is like, oh, like Michael is horny. Like he's meowling. It's like, oh, so let's get him a girlfriend. So they get him a little girl cat and, they, and then they keep spanking. He's like, no, not yet, dummy. She's too young. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, that was oh. a really weird episode. It <laughs> <laughs> was so weird. The dad is like, no, we can't fix Michael. Like an affront to him. That Michael yeah. would, would get his, you know, his one twos like taken away, right? Oh. But I don't know. It's like maybe that was this time, but you know, like you got to fix cats because otherwise they'll just keep popping out more cats. They you do that. like twelve kids over the course of this book. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they probably should have fixed Michael. But yeah, it's yeah. kind of it's kind of interesting what a like what a time capsule this was in so many different ways. Like the original work taking place from like 85 to I think the book says 85 to 88. So over four years, like the cartooning still really crisp and he's such his own creator that it doesn't feel, doesn't feel too dated. I think whereas a lot of eighties manga definitely has so many hallmarks mm. of that time. It's not like Akira levels of not dated, but it's pretty good, pretty good. And then on top of that, the time period of like, when this was lettered and when this was was basically serialized in English, which where it was over I think over a decade for this material. And the industry changed so much where computer lettering became the norm. Lettering rates kind of fell through the floor for letterers as well. Hand lettering used to be really like a full time paying job. Orskowski I got to work with on a gig and even wow. he when he switched to computer lettering, you know, lamented it a little bit. But it also meant that, you know, the underground 
the indie presses could have really nice uh, looking lettering on their books instead of it. I don't know. Have you ever read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one before they relettered it? It's it's not great. <laughs> Computer lettering saves a lot of books <laughs> if it's done even halfway competently. So yeah. Oh, I wonder if the that shift that you're talking about mm. is partly why we value hand lettering so much these days because it's become mm. something that's become much more rare. Yeah, to see executed like a very high level. Sort of like computer coloring. There was a big push like to give colorists more creative credit, creative freedom mm-hmm. comics for a while. Yeah. It'd be good if we paid them too. But, uh, uh, let's, let's not go too far. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah come on. Right? <laughs> Crazy talk. <laughs> Chip, you letter your own books, right? Since we are just talking about lettering this, this episode, you letter your own books, but you letter them computer-wise? or Yeah, I mean, I turned my handwriting into a font years mm. ago. Wow. I did it so long ago that I don't actually know how to change it. Like the program no longer exists and I, I'm too old to learn a new program. So there's a few things about it I want to change and I just can't. I don't think I'm a good letterer, but I'm just too much of a control freak. I kind of want to, I want to make sure it works with the design of the page. Mm-hmm. Especially now that I'm writing and drawing a book, it's like, well, I want to be able to change it on the fly instead of changing it covertly, like what I would do to Matt on Sex Criminals. <laughs> It's funny, I just lettered a book, just lettered some pages, I guess, that were, the lettering in the Japanese is hand-drawn. It's hand-lettered. And I kind of didn't, I went with CC Comic Crazy, uh, or Comic Craft Brian Boland, by the way. But mm-hmm. I wanted a, a hand-lettering font that was like, that kind of worked with, with their lettering. But it was really tough. And most Japanese comics, we didn't really put a lot of like actual Japanese comics up on the show notes or anything like that. But our lettered, not just with a font, but like a font font. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like... It is like a solid black, you know, very intense kind of computer font, uh, computer lettering. And always, almost always was, even before that, they would do like, you know, I, I got to handle some really old comic pages once and they would just be, they would just have like laser printed, you know, letters pasted onto the board. Mm-hmm. So that that human look that we look for in this artwork is just not part of the original manga ideal, I guess, like in, in the original I think work. it's in the sound effects though. Oh, the sound effects are gorgeous, though. Yeah. yeah. Like having a hand-drawn sound effect yeah. is night and day better if you can get away with it. And it's so so much nicer, right? Well, not to take anything away. I think computer lettering, you can do really good computer yeah. sound effects. like, But it's it's a skill, man. Like, and it's, it's all different aesthetics with different, like, peaks. Absolutely. But maybe. Yeah. yeah. Shonen Jump lettering is just so far away from from this, let alone from anything else, too. Yeah, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but like the way Shonen Jump books are lettered, even in the Japanese, the sound effects being integrated into the art and usually being so huge because the action's so huge, like they give Marvel Comics a run for their money for sure in a lot of different ways, I think. In mm-hmm. fact, sound effects, I feel like have been getting sort of smaller and further <laughs> away in superhero comics because they kind of read as cartoony maybe in a way that I feel like the, the books are trying to move away from. But I don't know. I'm not yeah. the most, I'm not the biggest this expert is... there. I was just reading Hellboy in Hell. I got like the paperback, and then I learned about Artisan Editions, which is the black and white original art version. So you can oh, see. it's nice, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't cost like a hundred bucks, like the big versions. <laughs> but I was marveling at the sound effects in that because a lot of them are very tiny. You know, maybe it's a font, maybe it's handwritten, but very neat little like boom or doom or that kind of thing. And they're not yeah. bombastic in that Kirby way, but like they're so perfect for the setting. And I think that speaks mm. to the like the freedom you have in comics. I think you can do pretty much any kind of lettering if it makes sense for the story you want to tell. 
And I think with superhero comics, as they've matured for, you know, in whichever direction, kind of don't maybe want the full, like, Walt Simonson. John Workman. Yeah, John Workman. I can't believe I forgot his name. I love that guy. Mm. The Crack of Doom, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when it's part of the design, it really works. Like, like Frank Quitely mm-hmm. does his own lettering for sound effects in, in, in his comic pages, and it's gorgeous and it works within the environment and utilizes the environment as well. I find with Marvel stuff, like I, I throw in sound effects in my scripts as often as I feel are necessary to get the feeling across. But a lot of times my fight with an editor is I drop them for punches Mm. because like, like when a guy just punches another guy, cause I'm just like, well, there's there's no pow sound. Like that's not actually a thing. Like if you've actually seen a street fight and you've seen someone like, or been on the receiving end, like the sound is a lot subtler than a pow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so you you know if you want to give a little bit of realism to a scene, then you you drop sound effects for stuff like that and increase them for the car revving up or something like that for the mm. environments. Yeah. I've actually I I've sometimes I'll I'll t- if I have a real specific thing in mind, I will actually letter the page in the Marvel book. Like nice. I did it once for Daredevil because I had an effect at the end of an issue where it was like Matt Murdock, Daredevil at home. And he's like, he's, he's basically just making constant 911 calls. He's no longer Daredevil, but he just keeps, he's got all these phones. He's making all these calls because he's hearing all these crimes. And the final page is just, a visual representation of what he's hearing. And it's just like all overlaid dialogues throughout the city mm. and different kind of colors and, and fading in and out. And it was such a specific thing that I, I knew I knew I'd, I mean, I love our, our letterer Clayton. He's amazing. He's like one of the industry's best, oh, but, yeah. but when you have something so specific in your head, you don't want to, if you can do it, you just mm. do it. You don't want to necessarily ask Clayton to do it and then go back and go, mm, actually more like this. Like, yeah, <laughs> sometimes you just got to go in and do it yourself. And yeah. maybe it's a little weird. We're talking about lettering, but I think it speaks to like the quality of the lettering and also the mm. quality of the book. Yeah. Well, it's flopped too. I, I yeah. forgot about yeah. this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had some trouble. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> because there's always a joke about, oh, like, how do you learn to read comics backwards? Are you reading manga? Blah, 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 blah. And yeah. normally I have no trouble going back and forth because the obvious cue is like color comics versus black and white. But uh, when I read mm-hmm. black and white manga that's been flopped, it's like, wait, I've done 20,000 pages in the other direction. Since the last <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for the first couple of stories, I'd have a moment of where I would read like the bottom right hand corner first or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or not first, but like, you know, before reading the bottom left. I mean, that's a ton of work, right? Like, popping yeah. the art, doing the hand lettering. They put a lot of, and then getting people to localize the dialogue. Mm. You know, like to be, taking great care to localize it. Like, I was, one thing that I thought was really interesting was in some of the early chapters, there are little, little Easter eggs that call out different people in manga. Mm. On page 95, there's the boss who goes out of town to leave his cat with him. His name is Fred Rickshot. <laughs> so he is named after famous manga writer Frederick Schott, whose manga manga we are reading as the first book of the year this year. Oh yeah, okay. And, and who's yeah. probably 19, employed by Dark Horse a, at the time. There's like yeah. a call out to Trina, 
and that's probably Trina Robbins. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. There's a couple of them like that, but I'm there was one that I couldn't figure out. There's like on page 341, mm. the Freeman reaction. Who's Freeman? Oh, it's yeah, Fleming reaction. What's that? It's F L E H M A N. I have a, I have a hunch this issue came out and they couldn't like Google it and <laughs> they just went <laughs> off the katakana. <laughs> Because it's what cats do when they smell something gross. It's like a weird stare. Oh, it's a real word. Yeah. Oh, I did. But the way, (laughs) like in here, what was the page number? Three forty-one. Three forty-one. Yeah. No. Yeah. They basically. This was a mistake, maybe. Hmm. Because it sounds like a scientist, right? Yeah. 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 Then there's like the cosmos explanation, but no, it's just the weird face (laughs) cats make sometimes. Oh wow! So it would have been catacanized and as like just... lemon reaction, yeah. Huh. Put that in the show notes. Yeah, there's <laughs> it's interesting, right? Because like there, you can see some changes in dis- in translation decision, like in in when the big fat cat comes in, like page one thirty seven. It's called Nyazilla, mm-hmm. which is like a pun on Nya, which is like meow. Oh. But then you go to three fifty three, the same character is called Catzilla. Hmm. It's kind of like Donbo and Cardbo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love stuff like that when staff changes and little things slip through the localization. <laughs> like it's not super great from a production perspective, but. But as an, as an artifact. Yeah. 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 Like choices were made and this is like an artifact of those choices. Hmm. Hmm. That's one of the things that made me. I can talk about this. So when I was at, when I was at Fizz, there was a decision made to reprint one of the older manga that was there and it had like old Torn Smith lettering on it. I can't remember which title it was now, but they were going to reprint it and all the old manga, you know, from this area was flopped. Like it was mm-hmm. flopped to read in the American orientation and basically scanning all those pages, cutting out and then repasting the lettering in would have been something like five times as expensive as just getting someone to re-letter it at the contemporary lettering rate on the unflopped page or like, oh. like, cause they got new data in from the publisher and they're like, all right, they could just send it to production and lettering. And it's just like the whole production idea of having to rescan from like flats or maybe even the printed book, like a thousand pages of manga and then manually cut out the old word balloons and put them onto the new digital pages. It was just like, we literally, the expense of it is insane. Like we literally can't do it. Like at best it would have been in the cork express or something. Like, yeah, at best. At yeah. Be- but even then, I don't think a lot of those files exist. I, you know, I'm not trying to tell tales of the school, but yeah, yeah I think it would have been, they would have had to rescan from flats. So it's a weird thing. And it's what makes like original printings of manga so, so interesting to me. If you can get like the older printings of the flip stuff, because I think the, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we have an appreciation. I think actually it's maybe just David <laughs> that has, a, <laughs> has a nostalgia. For how manga used to look in North America during those early years of translation and production and really treating it like, I don't know, it's a difference between like a good set of subtitles on an old movie and like Netflix's like, you know, one size fits all kind of bullshit half translated stuff that they do. And it's just, you know, it's what it is. There's not not much you can do, but I do like digging through bins and looking at like old issues. Super Manga Blast that this ran in and the later stuff ran in it. Like you could find those in bins for like 25 cents an issue, even though they're like, you know, big, thick 96 page books and stuff like that. So, yeah, but yeah, I remember. It's a weird, 
digging up some weird memories. <laughs> <That's what's laughs> it's interesting because technically, I imagine the relettered version would have been more like quote unquote true to the Japanese. In terms oh yeah, of, like, and looking they closer. retranslated a lot of that stuff too. I, I, that's yeah. the other the other side of it is that all these books were like hundred and you know hundred and forty four page books that were sixteen ninety five or eighteen ninety five <laughs> each. You know, back in the nineties, that are now like barely nine ninety nine. You know, for yeah. for collections or. This book, which is like 600 pages, is was like 30 bucks or something like that. 20 bucks is crazy. I really so. like the stuff like that. Yeah, we talked about it a bit with Akira, how there are like differences between the Marvel version, the original Japanese, and the like Dark Horse Kodansha sets. Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. I wish, I do wish other people cared about it because it's so interesting <laughs> to me. Yeah. Because I don't think either is necessarily wrong, you know, but they're like making different decisions that were right for that moment. Oh, absolutely. Nowadays, yeah. The idea of what translation was changed a lot over the last 30 years as well. Like, Mm -hmm. it because the fans changed. Fans don't want, think that they don't want localization a lot of the time. They don't want to be able to tell that it's localization, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. They wish that they could read Japanese ultimately, but, you know, failing that, I think there has to be, there has to be decisions that are made in translation. And it's, it's a, yeah, it, this is a weird thing because you could see how the translation is changing over the time. You could see how how many people worked on this just over the first six volumes. Or so. <laughs> you know, like like it changed hands a lot of times, a lot of times, and a lot of different processes and stuff. Yeah, it's one of the, it's maybe one of the weirdest books we've covered for that. But I don't know. I feel like have we talked about the lettering enough. Should we talk about the actual <laughs> book again some more? <laughs> yeah, I was going to argue that the way for humor localization mm. is a must. Because yeah, if you did it yeah. literally, you would lose the humor and the jokiness of it. Like, there's some flavor going on here. And I think to what Deva was saying, sometimes the lettering choices, the hand lettering, makes it even funnier. Like the mm. fight scenes with all this kind of stuff. Like, like it just adds some, you know, adds kind of nice atmosphere to it or just kind of emphasizes, it complements his very elastic visual storytelling. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Makes it more fun. Well, speaking of elastic storytelling, does any of you have a favorite story? Like, or thought we think, wow, that's pretty smart. I've never seen a cat comment like that. Or like, I thought this was really funny. It's really interesting. Well, I well love done. the, this cat doesn't speak Japanese joke. <laughs> because oh, yeah, I lived yeah. in Spain and high good. school for a while. Yeah. So of course we had the joke that our dog, she couldn't, you know, understand us. <laughs> 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 but I thought that was really good. Mostly it was every time a cat made a face and then also the fugitive story. Yeah, that was fun. Oh, yeah. Cause we used to love the fugitive as you know, it was like a family movie as a kid. And so I forgot that there was a parody of it in here. And it's so strange to see in 2023. <laughs> oh, and the dancing. It's the kind of book where I would flip through and find a different favorite for every like hundred pages. You know? Yeah. The dancing one is really good. It's gorgeous. With the so, ribbon? So well drawn. Yeah. No, well, the one where they're all looking at the camera and doing that, like, old-timey oh. Japanese dances. But the, <laughs> yeah. the, the ribbon one the is ribbon so is, good. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. It's it's so beautiful. Yeah, I love that one. 194 is the old-timey dance one. It starts with the photography session. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact, there's a little detail where the dad tosses a, like, a handkerchief into the air on 197. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like it's such a good comedic bit. Like yeah. it's 
meaningless, but it's so, I don't know, so of the moment, so in there. It's great. <laughs> My favorite is, is probably the ones where the, the inherent nature of cats screw up their lives when they're trying to do real human things. Like the cat boardroom or the cats playing baseball, that one, that that kind of killed me because it's just like <laughs> Michael's getting called out on being bad at his job, and he just sort of starts grooming himself and pretending he can't hear what he's getting yelled at. <laughs> like that's pretty great. That's a lot of fun. I liked that a lot. Chipper, did you have a fave? There's a lot, but like one that I really appreciated was the living together one on one forty nine, where the guy addresses the reader about how he likes cats but doesn't think that they're people. And then it just goes through his day with Michael doing the humans only cat only thing, but they're basically doing exactly the same thing. And the final gag of them in the same pose and in their respective beds (laughs) killed me on 154. Mm. I quite like that. There's one panel that I probably loved over all of them. One of the early ones where Michael's sick and he has to go to the vet. <laughs> yeah. mo- mo- most of it's just like, oh, yeah, trying to get a cat to the vet. Oh, it's so hard. But the payoff panel, 105, where he <laughs> gives the injection and it's in Michael's arm laid right over the human's <laughs> arm. <laughs> 105, it's such a good panel. It's so funny. Like diabolical writing. Yeah, it's great. On 107, just after that one, is one I related to a lot. Because it's basically my relationship with cats. Which is that I just want to eat and be left in peace. And the cats <laughs> really like me for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's happened repeatedly where I will accidentally befriend a cat. And then, you know, I'm stuck. Yeah, huge mistake. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No matter what I do, like, it's still really hard for me to get up with a cat sleeping on my lap. Like, I feel like I'm just ruining its day. And it's like, no, like, why why am I thinking like this? Like, they'll just go right back to sleep somewhere else. Yeah, I know. But somehow, somehow, it makes it really hard. Also, Michael's face when he saw Popo on 127. Hmm? When they're like, we got you, you know, she's going to be your wife someday. And his reaction shot. It's super good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little grossed out too, Michael. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really can't say enough about the, the drawing in this. Like, I gotta so be honest, good. the drawing gets so much better as it goes too. Like the later volumes and the stories that I'm thinking of are just so tight. He's he's good in this, don't get me wrong, and but I think later stories he gets even better. Maybe not at drawing Michael. Like the cats are really great in this, but the humans Especially, he just gets so, so good at drawing them. The humans are the the one part of this where I'm like, ah, they're all a little bit off. Hasn't quite nailed the human face, but like the cats are absolutely perfect. Which is so weird. Usually it's the opposite. Unlike the dogs who look stupid every time they show up. <laughs> oh, this guy is definitely a cat person. Kind of a yeah. <laughs> I did like the one that Kip mentioned where the they're watching TV and there's like a little window in the bottom of the TV where the cat is like doing translation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've never seen that on a cat comic. That's so smart. The other one I liked was the wordless one on 333, a place to sit where Michael's trying to find some place to, to sleep and he gets chased from room to room 
until finally the only place left for him that's okay for him to sit is on a magazine in an empty lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cute. It's kind of a little yeah. sad, but it's like, oh, you know. It's, you know, that's the difference between what's Michael and maybe like Garfield and Heathcliff. It's like Garfield and Heathcliff are a little bit too smart for their own good sometimes. Yeah. Or they're kind of yeah. like mm. a little, you know, they kind of look down on the people around them like, these dumbass humans, I'm the one who's calling all the shots here. And Garfield ain't far from wrong. His, what's the name of the guy? John. John is not brightest bulb in the in the sockets you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's pretty derpy yeah and in heathcliff world i mean heathcliff is just like i'm like the funds you know like the coolest cat around i can walk on two feet and i barely tolerate you people but you feed me you know <laughs> yeah like he's yeah. not even really a cat like mm. like, like an old man <laughs> yeah 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 they just like they made the cat so cool that it's no longer a cat which kind of kills a lot of what should make Heathcliff a good strip? Have you all read much modern Heathcliff? It's a little surreal, ain't it? It's basically turned into like, you could condense What's Michael into one panel each week. Like that's the Heathcliff <laughs> strips now. <laughs> okay. Because there's one, like there's some like frog he keeps seeing and he's like, there's Jim and he's pointing at a billboard that has the frog's face on it. And that's the entire strip, like the entire punchline. And he gets paid for this shit. Surreal. Yeah. <laughs> Probably very well. The Father's Day strip this week was unbelievable because it was Heathcliff and his dad wearing like prison clothes. So I guess he's just broken out of jail. They steal some fish from a fish market. Like they fight some dogs. They go through some trash, all like synchronized, like synced up. And then they're sitting on a hill under a tree and there are two birds in the tree above them. And one of the birds says, my dad used to puke in my mouth. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. And then oh it shouts God. out Maddie Ruta Fayetteville, North Carolina's cat Lucy, like a little caricature. It's unbelievable. Oh wow. So yeah, surreal is the right word. I think it's moved away from Heathcliff being cool to just being like, what kind of non sequitur can we get away with this week? You know? That's oh, maybe, amazing. I, maybe I should get into Heathcliff again. I honestly, it's worth flipping through like the last, I don't know, month or so of strips to see if anything makes you laugh because it gets pretty weird. Is it the same person making it? That's. It's or, Peter Gallagher now, so it must have changed over. Heathcliff has been around for ages. Yeah, at this yeah, point. yeah. But it's so far from the old stuff. Weird. Like, there's a bunch of strips in a row that are about saving the world, and then a bunch about taking over the world. I'm just looking at another window. <laughs> Heathcliff has gotten weird. This is a weird strip. Oh, all right. Yeah. The... Time to bookmark some Heathcliff. <laughs> it's... My, my. Also, I think a lot of it is clip art based where he has certain like set panels or set angles and he can just kind of like plop a character in, plop a punchline at the bottom sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, why wouldn't he, right? It's a great time saver. Yeah. Meanwhile, modern Garfield. <laughs> it's not like, you know, the world of Heathcliff changes very much. Like, it's not like Heathcliff goes to Italy, you know, kind of thing. He's on an alien spaceship in one of the ones I just read. Like, is he? <laughs> there's a lot going on in Heathcliff that maybe we all... Maybe we've all been sleeping on Heathcliff. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not weird, cl- too. Yeah. Because C- once Michael became a meme, like the, the, a lot of those stories that we're talking about are fresh in our minds because they got posted all over you know, the internet for a little while. And then Garfield, a little while back, became like the biggest meme where it was like Garfield without Garfield. And it just made John look like 
the saddest, craziest, loneliest person. <laughs> Which I think I've mentioned on this podcast before is an idea I came up with in high school. What? Oh, really? <laughs> in which I went through my Garfield books and I erased all of Garfield's thought bubbles. Because I'm like, John can't hear his thoughts. No one can hear his thoughts. And it reads yeah. so weird when it's it's just Garfield not talking and you can't hear his thoughts. Because it's usually just it's like John says something to Garfield. Nothing happens. And then John looks at camera with like a kind of expression <laughs> as if he heard his thoughts, which he couldn't hear. So anyways, when I interviewed Jim Davis oh years later, it was actually kind of around the time of because Jim Davis published Garfield minus Garfield. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he, yeah, because yeah, he saw this happening and he reached out to people who were doing it and he offered to publish it because he thought it was funny. And I mm-hmm. told him that I came up with it in high school and he said that he invented the pet rock when he was a kid and he was so upset when the pet rock <laughs> became a fad in the 70s. So he felt my pain. My... Garfield minus Garfield was great because my friend Gavin, when we ran Fourth Letter, our comics website together, he did Dark Side minus Dark Side or Dark Side <laughs> yeah. minus New Gods. So it's just Dark Side ranting alone in rooms and in chairs and things. <laughs> and it was like legit the funniest thing I saw for like two years. It's <laughs> pretty great. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. That's got, that's got a pretty good adult swim vibe. Mm-hmm. It, it's weird how Garfield is just timeless though yeah in a way that like even within this six volumes of what's michael like there's definitely change happening in how the stories are being told also i, I kind of feel bad for making deb recommend that we read a 600 page book because <laughs> i've actually carried this across three continents i'm glad it was interesting nice. but yeah it, it does change a lot i feel like and it the the kinds of stories he's telling are getting are definitely getting weirder just by the end of this volume and apparently the the Fat Cat Collection Volume 2 wraps up the original serialization. It's Volume 7 to 11. And it's like, yeah, I kind of want to read it now, actually. Yeah. Just to see? Just to see, because it, it seems to be going in a, in a direction. Mm. I think with any long-running series, like we talked about how artists change over the course of the series. And yeah. we have, like kind of demonstrated it on the podcast. But you discover not just like how far you can take your story, but also like what you're interested in, in as time goes on. Yeah. So I bet he was like, dang, like people really don't mind if I do space. What's Michael's story? So I should do more of those. <laughs> see yeah, what happens. Yeah. But it looks kind of amazing too. It's like, this is obviously one of the most successful series that he's ever worked on, but he didn't keep carrying what's Michael's stories. Like he stopped and he made other things. He drew other types of manga. Like this was not the beginning and end of his career as a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of interesting because, you know, normally, you know, it's like, well, why mess with success? You know, I'm going to, he could be like Jim Davis and draw Garfield for the rest of his life. But he didn't. And I don't know why. And I think it's interesting. What did he follow this up with? Oh, a couple of things, eh? So this was started in 84. And then in order, he did, uh, it's hard to tell because th- this is not being listed in order. Hold on one sec. I'll see if I can figure it out. The one I was talking about with Club Nine is about a girl that works at a hostess club who moves to the big city and ends up working at a hostess club, uh, which is kind of like, I don't know, it could be a stepping stone to like a near-do-well sort of lifestyle, but she's so good-hearted and country bumpkinish that she kind of makes it work. It's, it was only partially translated. I think they only did three of the volumes. It was hmm. a lot of fun. Born in 58. Yeah, What's Michael was his like biggest possible hit, but he also did a bunch of other... 
stuff. He worked on once Michael while he was working on other other comics too, called Judo Club Story and oh a yes, of other things too. The character who is Nyazilla's adopted family in the sushi restaurant, mm-hmm. the guy with the big eyebrows, that's the character from the Judo manga. Oh, that's cool. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So they all take place in the Michaelverse. I guess so. <laughs> it's just fascinating to me that, you know, like like I said, this was first came out in 1984. Mm. And then he really only did nine volumes. Yeah, the Japanese editions don't match up with the Dark Wars editions. Mm-hmm. This is a peer to Akira in that case. Yeah, yeah. I think early Dragon Ball. Maybe Dr. Slump. Oh my god, I'm reading the profile of it. It says, What's Michael won the 10th Kodansha Manga Award for General Manga in 1986, an award it shared with Message to Adolf by Osama Tezuka. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Still alive when this was coming out. That's wild. Oh, man. Well, there you go. That's also what a Who good says we don't do classic manga, right? <laughs> Let's go around the table because I think we've kind of given this big book a good round of conversation. Let's. Let's start again with Chip. Do you want to close off? Closing thoughts? Yeah, it's very similar to my opening thoughts. It's a gorgeous book. The cats are beautifully cartooned. Solid gags throughout. I didn't quite notice the lettering until David pointed out. Now it's all I see. (laughs) (laughs) And I still still say, you know, besides, you know, a couple of questionable choices in here about, you know, Michael trying to have sex with an underage cat. I still think this is good for kids. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you know what you know what it's a parents choice award winner i noticed on the back so i, I yeah, can't be maybe, r- i can't be wrong you're vindicated there yeah yeah <laughs> so anyways i i yeah i quite like it it might not be the thing that i kind of continue but it's definitely a, a high recommendation for me for people who are into cats or, or of an age to appreciate this how about you david on page 205 lionel richie stars in the new car where a cat just messes up his brand new, like, you know, wax or shine and wax shop. <laughs> and all I could think reading it was the my explaining team could see there's like an Icona pop poster in my room over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to point with a stupid camera. When I got that poster, I had a roommate who had a cat and I left the poster out overnight after coming home from the concert to like flatten it out. And when I got up, the cat was sleeping in the middle of it and it's been creased ever since. And I was like, oh, this is the most realistic cat bit in the entire book of just the endless terror on something you want to be pristine. Yeah, very relatable, very funny, extremely well drawn. Like, there's so many brands and like parody stuff in here that I don't think you could actually do nowadays that it mm. makes me laugh. But just the mayhem, the sheer amount of mayhem was really making me laugh. How about you, Chris? Yeah, it was just a fun one. I enjoyed What's Michael. I, I haven't had a cat for a really, really long time, so, but it still very, <laughs> rung very true to my previous pet semi-ownership, my shared roommate pet ownership, so that was nice. Yeah, I, I kind of do want to go and see if the second volume improves on what we got here or moves in a direction, but even the cover of this is just like so weird and good <laughs> with all the cats doing the like, dance pose that uh yeah yeah i feel like yeah it's a good one go and go and read what's michael for your funny cat comedy just again don't try and read it all in two days there's too many pages (laughs) 
you know, reading this again, because this was one of the first manga that was available in English. So it was something I remember reading way back when it first came out. And it's so nice to revisit it again and still see that it still works. Kind of mm. like how Ranma one half still works and it's still hilarious. That's so nice. Also, I've had cats almost nonstop since I've moved out of my parents' house. Yeah. And between Timmy, who was the cat about town who visited all my neighbors and got a dinner at every house in the block. Mm. That's kind of it's kind of Michael. <laughs> but also I have Sunny and Frankie who are like just crazy, just nuts. They'll bounce off the walls and they'll climb up the bookcases and fly and they'll do all kinds. And they'll, because they're brothers, they try to beat each other at eating. So the one cat will eat so much, he'll throw up later. Like, oh my God, they're just cats. <laughs> they're just so cats. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so many things like uh. I read now and I'm thinking like, ah, Yeah. This is Sunny and Frankie. Everything you just mentioned <laughs> happens in this book. So yeah, yeah those, yeah. those are some pretty catty cats you got there. <laughs> they are cats among cats. As brothers, they seem to make each other cat up even more. So, <laughs> 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 ah, well, anyway, cat manga. I would say I can't get enough of it, but actually that's a lie. I can. <laughs> yeah. Is this it? 600 pages? You hit your limit? There's kind of some so-so cat manga out there. <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> Other cat manga, not this cat manga. This is no. a great one, and I really enjoy it, and it was fun to read it again. So thanks for, I guess, kind of peer pressuring me into recommending it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. We will be back in a little bit with, I don't know, something. Stay tuned. All right, and we are back, and I guess we're going to do shout outs. Or no. Oh, no okay. No shout outs. No shout outs. <laughs> no shout outs. For once, I have a manga explaining mailbag question. Ooh. For the crew. Oh. I know, I know. As you know, I am friends with legendary comic book writer Matt Fraction. And he had a question for me and he wanted me to pose it to the manga experts here. And I'm just going to read it off my screen. Hey, Chum, can you ask the manga explaining crew if Miyazaki's Porco Rosso ever got an English publication or if they may happen to know if it's gettable or findable at all in print? I've Googled and failed. So he's a failure, and I want to know how much of a failure he is from <laughs> you three. I got to admit, I got nothing on this one. Porco Rosso is the one that says better a pig than a fascist. Yes, that is that particular, yeah, that like particular that. meme. <laughs> <laughs> I like where that's going. <laughs> so Porco Rosso is the Hayao Miyazaki film about Crimson Pig. It's about a guy who's cursed to look like a pig by like he does something and gets cursed. But then he just becomes like a World War II flying ace fighting against the fascists, basically, in Italy. So, you know, that's pretty fun. But there isn't a direct comic prequel or a comic that it's based on. It's not like Nausicaa. But what it did have was... Nausicaa stories would run an anime magazine called Animage. And after that, he was actually also doing these sort of elaborate sort of comics, sort of technical drawings of like planes and tanks and weird military stuff. Some of it was real and some of it was stuff that he would invent. And he would have these little basically pig characters. He started drawing as like the people piloting the planes and the tanks and the, and things like that. Sometimes they would get short short comics out of them. 
And those comics are collected in a book called Daydream Note, Daydream Data Note, depending on how it gets translated. Mm-hmm. And they're a lot of fun. They're really interesting. Bad news for, for Matt, unfortunately, is that they're only available in Japanese. And worse news for Matt is that not only are they not available in Japanese, they, they're out of print, like even in Japan. They're actually getting more and more expensive. The last time I was at a Mandarake in Japan, they were going, the, the Daydream Data Note, the second printing, which has extra stuff in it, an extra story in it, was going for over 100 bucks. And that was the last time I checked was a couple of years ago. If he wants to get it, he might want to get it ASAP. I've got worse news too. Whoa, jeez! <laughs> <laughs> Math fraction is going to die by midnight. <laughs> so here's so here's a here's a weird thing. I was like, you know, while well, at Viz, hey, we're you know, Viz is publishing so many great, beautiful art books by Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli. So Takahara Sensei and and so many different people. Why haven't you guys done the collected editions of like Daydream Data Note or the like the little little book that's the Proto Nausicaa book? And they're like, oh, we tried, and it's they said it's not available. There's nothing we can do. I'm sorry, but so yeah, I got an official no that they they couldn't do Daydream Data Note. And then a funny thing happened, and first second published one of those books that I asked about that they said weren't available earlier this year, and it was or late last year, I guess. It's called Shuna's Journey, and it's a Full color, painted watercolor, Hayao Miyazaki, pretty much a, a manga, but kind of not that he did before he did Nausicaa. Has the same kind of themes and ideas and things like that, but it's only one book. And that blew my mind because if that came out, maybe anything actually really is possible. <laughs> oh, I have a little backstory on that one. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Miami Book Festival asked me to interview the, the translator. How wonderful. For a Shuna's journey. And I got mm. Helen McCarthy to join in because she's kind of like this Miyazaki expert. Mm. I'm not. <laughs> but I asked him, how'd you do this? And he goes, oh, I just asked. <laughs> Classic move. And then I and then I took it to first second and they said yes. I went, what? Okay. That is wild for reasons that I can't go into. <laughs> so leave that there. <laughs> so yeah, anything's possible, but if you are if you are Matt Fraction and you want to own a copy of that book, which is legitimately beautiful, try to buy the second printing of it. It's called Daydream Note or Daydream Data Note. The second edition has an extra story in it. And the manga is called The Return of Hans. And again, it is a prototype version of the Porco Rosso story. It is not a real, it's not like the comic of Porco Rosso, but yeah, it, I love his, I love his hand-drawn stuff so much more than I love, like his animation is obviously beautiful, but like this, this period of like 1980s, 1990s kind of crazy little technical drawings and stuff like that. I just love that stuff that he does. Like Ghibli Museum in, yeah, his, in his comics era. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> it's great. So yeah, see if you can find it. It's a pretty fun. It's a pretty fun book. But sorry, I didn't have better news. Yeah, I mean, Matt did say to me too that there are a few pages from it in the movie art book. Oh. Yeah, it's this kind of thing. It's not yeah. actually. There's not actually a real comic. Mm. But the movie art book's gorgeous too. I don't know anything about Porco Rosso, but when I was talking to Matt, I googled, and I was like, okay, now I'm very interested because the first thing that came up was Michael Keaton as Porco Rosso. Really? <laughs> yeah. I I uh, will Google that. I haven't seen that. Wait, wasn't he the English voice actor for it? Yeah. Is that why? Yeah. Oh, the he, Disney dubs. 
I oh. guess so. Yeah, it just has a photo of Michael Keaton and Michael Keaton, Porco Rosso. I'm like, what? All the Disney versions of the Miyazaki films, they spared no expense to get name brand voice actors. <laughs> That's wild. I uh, don't watch dubs, so I wouldn't know. Me neither. Ha ha. Wow, wow. <laughs> I hate dubs. <laughs> I hate dubs. Even when they're done by Michael Keaton? Especially when they're done by Michael Keaton. Cold-blooded. Brad Garrett was Mama someone. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. that's Mama Oto. Mama uh, that's Oto? Fun. Yeah. That's, Brad that's Garrett. <laughs> Brad Garrett oh, yeah. from Two Stupid Dogs? No. I'll probably have to cut that out. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this, is, this episode's weird. This is a weird episode. It's a funny episode. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, that's fair. Well, we tried. <laughs> <laughs> that actually was a good question, because I had not heard of this before either. And so originally my response was, well, you know, Matt, sometimes there are anime that don't come from manga. But no, this one actually has beautiful illustrations that aren't still exactly what you're looking for. Maybe if you knock on a Studio Ghibli's door at just the right moment, <laughs> they'll say yes. Mm. I got one extra thing here, and this, this, is, this is for David. Yeah. Grandpa Piccolo, David Ogden Steers from MASH. Incredible. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> now are you interested, Christopher? <laughs> I think we need to hear this dub. It's a manga explaining episode. Is this yeah. still on Disney Plus or yeah, we'll have to check it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually have had all the had all oh, I still have the I think I kept all the Miyazaki DVDs when I moved. I'm not sure. Maybe they're yeah. still in a box at my parents' house. Or anyway. I Googled Brad Garrett while we were talking, by the way. And he is the big dog from Two Stupid Dogs, which is a very funny cartoon from when I was a kid, like 93 <laughs> to 95. And it's like a ludicrous place for me to know him from looking at the rest of the things he's done. <laughs> the of his career. That's great. Amazing. Well, <sighs> I think that's a good place to call it a day with another episode of Manga's Planning. <laughs> thank you all for joining us. And thank you for indulging us in this little bit of cat and pig discussion. We'll see you next time. <laughs>